I want to start off by just saying thank you. You just chose to press play on this episode, and that means the world to me. Thank you very, very much. My name is Ryan O'Neill, and I make music under the name Sleeping At Last, and this is the Sleeping At Last podcast. Today, I am just so very excited to share with you guys a brand new song, and this song is called Six. It is, of course, inspired by the Enneagram Type 6 and belongs to my Enneagram series of songs, which are nine songs written from the perspective of these nine beautiful and unique Enneagram types. So for this song and for this episode, I wanted to switch things around a little bit. I'm going to actually share this song with you early in the episode, and then I will welcome my my dear friend Chris Hewitts uh, back onto the show, who is going to share his Enneagram genius with us and uh, talk about all things Enneagram Type 6. And then, of course, I will explain how all of the pieces of the song came together. I've been familiar with the Enneagram for for many, many years, but uh, honestly, until writing this song, I I feel like my understanding or my grasp of uh, the Type 6 had just a ton of missing pieces. Uh, In my mind, I felt like I had a picture of the type, but it was was kind of a blurry one. And and so before writing a single note or or lyric, uh, I, I really, really, really wanted to fix that. So I set out to learn as much as I possibly could about uh, the Enneagram Sixes and read as many books as I could get my hands on and and listen to as many podcasts and conversations as I could and and had several conversations with with type sixes in my life too, uh, with with the hope that I could somehow bring some focus or or clarity to the type before before attempting to write their song. And gosh, I, I came out the other side with an entirely new and, and deeper appreciation and respect for, for not only the type sixes in my life, but uh, for the type as a whole. You guys are, are truly amazing. And, and I say that in all sincerity. You guys are, are vibrant and, and dynamic and complex and, and so vital to the fabric of humanity. Uh, so if you happen to identify as a type six, I, I wrote this song with the hopes that it would feel like, like kind of like a great big hug. Uh, attempting to write from your guys' perspective uh, was such an honor, and, and I think it opened up my heart quite a bit. Uh, so I, I hope that this song touches upon at least a little bit of your truth, and uh, I hope that you like it. So here is Six.
so much for listening to that. It's so fun to get to share it with you. And we're going to dive into uh, how the whole thing was made from the the very first idea to to the the final shape of the song. Uh, But before we do that, let's talk about all things Enneagram type six. Let's welcome back my my dear friend, Chris Hewitts, who is not only an Enneagram expert, but just a really great dude. Uh, And he happens to be the author of an incredible book called The Sacred Enneagram, which uh, if you have even just the slightest speck of curiosity about the Enneagram, um, I, I cannot sing this book's praises high enough. It is, it is such a remarkable book, and I think that it is, it is truly one of the great resources of the Enneagram, whether you are an expert already or are uh, just becoming familiar with, with what the heck this whole thing is. So I uh, cannot encourage you enough to go check out his book, uh, The Sacred Enneagram. So Chris, thank you so much as always for being a part of this and for for giving your time and uh, just your your wisdom. Uh, it means means the world to me, and I think uh, I think it means a lot to the folks that have been kind enough to listen. So thank you and welcome back. Man, it's always uh, an honor to be included in these, and it's always great to connect with you. I uh, I just I just like everybody, can't wait for the next song to come out. Can't wait to to sort of hear what's gone into it and what's woven into it and and what's behind it. And so uh, thanks for your sensitivity and your care. Thanks for your um, really reflective responsibility of handling this teaching with with such tremendous understanding and and, and such really uh, audacious love and and, and, and tenderness. You're, You're doing something beautiful here, Ryan. Wow, thank you. That is incredibly kind and is why I keep inviting you back onto this show. <laughs> That's <laughs> not true. Love. Um thank you so much, Chris. That that is seriously such an honor and in you um the knowledge and uh, insight that you provide 
has truly been invaluable uh, as as I write these songs and as we we do these episodes of the podcast. So thank you. It seriously means the world to me. Um, so for for anyone that may be unfamiliar with who the Enneagram Type Sixes are, um, obviously today is all about the six, and uh, we'd love to hear an overview of the type if uh, if you're up for it. Sure. So so folks who are dominant in Type Six are, are really the the most sort of at their best heroic or sheroic, fearless and, and valiant of, of the Enneagram types, right? They're um, sometimes misunderstood as, as pessimistic, and this is because they, they, they really live with these notions of concern. They're always on alert. They're, they're sort of the alarm ringers, and, and this is how they love us, and this is how they take care of us. But, but, but generally, I, I think to call them pessimistic is, is really a disservice to them because they're, 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 they're thoughtful, and for a lot of sixes, they can get stuck in their head. But for, for most sixes, they, they actually get out of their head. And this is because their head center is their the repressed center, right? They say that the six is the most disconnected from, from their own sort of thinking center. Um, man, sixes can, can sometimes overanalyze things. They can sometimes overthink things. They can sometimes sort of really just sort of suss things out to the extreme and again this is one of the ways that they seek to establish safety and security for 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 those that they love um sometimes sixes are also misunderstood as rebels and and this throws us a little bit because sixes really value group they really value association they're they're really committed to to their teams or their communities to their partners but but this this rebellious streak in the six is is sort of um, a moving against their fear and and so it mistranslates sometimes externally or mistranslates in relationships. But man, the thing about the six that that I think is is so stabilizing is so um, so value ascribing to their essence is is this this notion of fidelity, right? There's this this real commitment to. Um, to, to what it is that they they believe in, what it is that that they learn or allow themselves to, to trust, and uh, that can be such a, a pacifying, peace inspiring, and, and, and stabilizing gift that their presence brings when when they're centered, when they're rooted, when they know they're okay, and, and when they know everything else is gonna be okay. Folks who are dominant in Enneagram type six are, 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 are right there in that inner triangle. If you remember the, the drawing of the Enneagram, um, the points three, six, and nine are, are sort of connected as, as this really exceptional group of the nine types. And so they're often referred to as the revolutionary types or the anchor points. In some of the, the teachings and traditions of the Enneagram, they're also referred to as the shock points of sort of the energy flow around this circle. And, and so we're we're sort of coming up now, right? We started at type one and, and we've gone through type two, three, four, and five. Now we're starting to come up the left side of the circle. And this is the second shock point of the Enneagram. This is type six. This is a, another sort of anchoring point of a type here that offers from its core and essence sort of DNA to the rest of the other eight types. Now, if, if you can also remember the drawing, if you can remember where, where point six is, it's located in the middle of the head center. And the head center is, is one of the three intelligence centers, along with the, the body, which are the instinctive types, the, the heart, which are the feeling types, 
Okay, and now we're, we're, we're right here, square in the middle of the head types. And the head types are those that, that really sort of appeal to their minds to, to analyze, to theorize, to sort of threat forecast everything that could potentially go wrong. And this is really what the gift, one of the social gifts of, of Enneagram type six is. Just like the other anchor points, three and nine, type six is what would be considered the most disconnected from its own head, its own thinking center. And this is why sometimes I think people sort of misunderstand type six to, to maybe be a little panicky or sometimes anxious. And, and I would caution folks to sort of use that language in describing six to, to their friends or the sixes in their life because it, it really is a misunderstanding. What comes across as um, overly concerned or, or sometimes uncertain in, in Enneagram sixes is their drive here to establish stability and security through threat forecasting, through worst case scenario contingency planning. And this is why sixes are, are, are really the, the guardians of the Enneagram. This is why sixes really are the, the, the protectors of the Enneagram. And this is how sixes love. This is what they, they offer. This is what they bring forward. This is, is really them at their best. So to, to understand sixes, and, and, and again, I, I don't use some of the names that the different Enneagram teachers or authors or schools have, have attributed to the type simply because I think the names are over-identified with some of the social functions and roles and, and not really connected to the essence. But if it helps you remember, Enneagram type sixes have been called by, by the Riso Hudson folks at the Enneagram Institute, the loyalists. And of course, Helen Palmer and the folks in the narrative tradition would call this the, the troop or sometimes the devil's advocate. The, 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 the six, in, in, in terms of understanding, though, what's behind that, what makes them tick, is really one of the great mysteries of the Enneagram. This is sometimes one of the harder types to, to sort of wrap our minds around, which is sort of funny to say since they're one of the, the head types or the mind types. But we, we know this about sixes, that, that they were born to bring forward their, their virtue, which is traditionally called courage, and their holy idea, which is holy strength or holy faith. And, and, and when a six is centered, when a six is grounded, when a six is, is rooted, there, there is no one more fearless than a six. So if you can imagine one of the, the most courageous of, of all human character structures, the, the most fearless of, of the archetypes of, of human personality, this is, is who we're contending with here at point six. Now, if, if you want to look at the, the type components, the character structure components, and, and again, we appeal to, to the traditional language frame by, by Oscar Chasso and, and Claudio Naranjo, and then of course these things were brought forward by Don Riso, um, Russ Hudson, Helen Palmer, and others, we, we look at a basic desire here. And this basic desire is simply to be supported, to, to have guidance, to know that they're going to be okay. And when a six knows that they're going to be okay, then 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 the world that they inhabit, the world that they create, the world that they support will, will, will also be okay. Sadly, the basic fear of the six and, and the basic fear for each of these nine types is the fear that we're never going to reconnect with our essence, right? For the six, that you're never going to reconnect with your faith and your courage. Well, well the basic fear here for the six is of not having the support and guidance they need. And, and when a six feels unsupported, really what happens is they drop into this loop of, of self-doubt. And so sadly, and, and, and I really do think unfortunately, the, the traditional passion here for the fix has, has, has been called fear and the traditional fixation has been called cowardice. Now, just as, as sort of a reminder, because we, we've gone over this before, the passion is how each of us in our hearts 
process the pain or the ache of our disconnect from essence. And the fixation is the mental sort of maladaptive coping technique or the mental way that we convince our heart that how we're coping is, is legitimate or how we're coping actually makes sense. And so if you look at fear and cowardice as, as a loop, if you look at fear and cowardice as sort of the hamster wheel where, where sixes get stuck, we need to do a little bit here to sort of tidy up that language. Because what we don't mean here is, is that all sixes are scaredy cats, that all sixes are fear-ridden, that all sixes are, are overrun with that fear. And, and honestly, I would say that cowardice is, is in fact one of the great misunderstood terms as a way of, of describing sixes. When I think of the passion for the six here, right, and, and like we've said, it's traditionally fear, I, I think that sixes really hold this in their body as, as fret. There's sort of this edge, there's this suspicion, this suspect, suspectfulness that sort of keeps the six on the edge. And, and, and that's really a somatic experience. That's the presence of the six. Now, I think when you take this fear and you bring it into the heart of the six, what you get is, is doubt. You, you get questioning, right? And the suspect in the body sort of evolves into suspicion in, in the heart. And then I think in the head, what you really get is this sort of experience of solicitude, sort of the solicitating, let's say, of, of confidence, of external affirmation, of external reassurance. And this is common for a lot of sixes, that they need somebody that they trust, somebody that they look up to, somebody who's been an authority, a mentor, a, a guide in their life to, to remind them, to constantly remind them that they're okay, that they can trust themselves, that they can believe in themselves, that actually themselves doubting isn't a, a way of questioning their own sort of sense of, of self, but it's a veiled safety net that they sort of use as a backup to sort of support their suspicion. And what I mean by that is really the sort of reframing then of, of what we understand as the cowardice of the six. Now, when we talk about cowardice here, what we're talking about is, is the sixes doubling down on the things that they think they should be afraid of as a way of keeping themselves and the people they love safe. And so there's nothing cowardly about that. In fact, there's something very courageous about that. Because what you see in that is, is, a, is a pressing into fear, a pressing into concern. Uh, and, and arresting and, and holding what makes them anxious. And, and when a six does that, what, what they're doing is they're saying, all right, I, I wanna take care of those I, I love and, and, and so that they'll know their love means that they'll know that they're secure, that they'll know they're safe. And so I'm going to go through every unsafe scenario I can imagine. And if I can think these through and if I can contingency plan out of them, then I'm actually going to make them okay and I'll make myself okay. In fact, I'll make the world okay. And so this is one of the ways that the six becomes really a guardian, how, how the six really does sort of double down on this protective stance. So how, how does this show up? Where, where is this fortified? Where is the sort of confirmation bias of this in, in the childhood of the six? Well, when you look at the, the so-called original or so-called childhood wounds there for, for, for Enneagram type six, there, there was something, and, and, and often this was truly a misperception but there was often sometimes a, a perception or misperception of unpredictability. And in this unpredictability, in people who are dominant type sixes, early high childhood environments, early holding environments, they sort of gave up on the hope that they would be okay. And, and so what they did was they, they, they would attach to then the protective caregiver, the, the, the protective parent, and, and, and they looked at that stance, they looked at that sort of protective energy that they were receiving as an extension of love. 
Well, to internalize that love, to receive that love, they wanted to mirror that back in their environments, in their relationships. And so they doubled down on that protective stance. Doubling down on that, though, sort of led, though, to this self-doubt because they looked outside themselves first to experience and see love. And, and like I said, that's what they were receiving from that protective energy. And, and, and as they tried to cultivate and nurture that love within, there was a, even a, a sort of splinter of doubt there. And it was, am I doing this right? Am I doing this as good as it was offered to me? And so it's 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 very common for sixes to even disbelieve in, in their own instincts, their own drives, their own strength, and and even for a six to assume and 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 to sort of give themselves over to that constant self doubting is one of the ways that they try to love us. Like I said, it's it's not cowardice; it's a way of of contingency planning. It's a, a worst case scenario sort of extrapolation of. I want us to be all right, so let me suffer the the mental fears, the mental consequences, the mental uncertainties of how things could go wrong, and, and then I'll subvert that. I'll steer us away from it. I, I won't let us ever get there. Now, as the six is sort of matured, as the six is sort of become adults, just like all of us in, in, in nine different ways where our Enneagram type sort of shows us how we want to be loved, how we feel like we've lost contact from love and, and how we go about getting love, right? The sixes are, are among the types that think they have to earn that love. And they think that that love is, is validated in stable relationships. And, and so to earn that love, sixes then sort of look inward and, and, and they're often referred to as the dutiful or compliant social styles. These are the the Hornavian group triads. Well, well, this duty or this compliance is is a very also sort of inaccurate way to describe sixes because look, sixes can be really aggressive. Sixes can be really out there. Sixes can be really driven. Sixes can have a lot of presence. So you have to remember that this duty or this compliant stance is towards the inner critic. It's towards the super ego. It's towards how the six perceives they should live. They ought to live. They need to live. And what the six ends up doing is giving those oughts and shoulds and needs to lots of power. And that can really become a, a, a sort of disempowering sort of inner landscape that, that the sixes have to contend with, right? Now, another way that, that, that sixes try to bring the best of themselves into the relationships, another way that the sixes try to, to show that they care is, is, is by handling their conflicts in, in ways that they think are really constructive. And, and, and they do this because if they can't handle conflicts well, if they feel disadvantaged in conflicts, or if they feel like their, their partner or their friends or the community members can't fight fair, then, then that really sort of throws off their equilibrium. And, and so what sixes do to sort of de-escalate tensions is they, 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 they just discharge what it is that they're concerned about. And this becomes one of the, the sort of communication styles here. You, you hear sixes lead with a lot of, I'm concerned about this, or I'm worried here. And, and what they're not trying to do is create sort of unsafe environments. What they're not trying to do is, is push us on their heels. They're just trying to, to get it off their chest. They're just trying to, to let it go. They're just trying to set it down. And, and so really in, in, in relationships here, it's, it's growing in, in the fluency of receiving what they sort of bring forward in their concerns or worries. And, and then actually it's it's learning to listen to that. It's learning to trust that because these guys and ladies are, are really the threat forecasters of humanity. They, you know, generally they know what's going to go wrong before it goes wrong. 
yes, sometimes they they can can overreact on that. Sometimes they they can can really think themselves in, in some pretty angsty and, and terrible corners. But man, if if they're centered, if if they're they're grounded, if they're rooted, if if they've grown in in, in self trust and self confidence, they're they're usually right, and and you need to give that to them. So great. Thank you so much to Chris for for sharing such beautiful insight. And uh, we're going to hear a bunch more uh, from Chris in a little bit. Uh, And I would just love to talk to you about how the sick song turned into a song. So as I mentioned at the top of the episode, it was really, really, really important to me to, to feel like I had a grasp of who Enneagram type sixes really are. Uh, well before I wrote a single note or concept or idea for the song, I, I just wanted to, I wanted to feel like I had some clarity. And as I researched, I could feel my head starting to wrap around the type. And uh, so the very first idea that I wrote down for this song uh, was that I wanted it to sound like relief, like, like an exhale just a, a four minute break away from anxiety and fear and, and just a place to kind of come and lay down your burdens. Uh, and, and that was sort of the initial idea well before I actually feel like I got to the, the, the heart of the song and the, and the point which we'll talk about later. Uh, so that idea that this song should sound like relief made me think about the, the music that is the most calming to me personally. And uh, that's artists like Nat King Cole and, and Billie Holiday and music made typically between the, the 40s and 50s, I, I guess it'd be considered vocal jazz music. And there's this, there's this one song in particular called July Tree by, by Nina Simone that uh, I, I don't know why, and it sounds kind of morbid, but I, I, I've always said that if there was ever a song that I wanted played at my funeral, uh, it would be July Tree by Nina Nina Simone. There's something so simplistic and and gorgeous and everything is right about the production and the recording. And uh, just when I put it on, it immediately puts me at ease. With those artists in mind, I, I knew that I wanted to write something with that instrumentation, with a, with a traditional small orchestra and a, a, a small jazz band. So that was a really fun like template to sort of begin thinking about what Enneagram Type 6 should sound like. So as a total side note, I identify as an Enneagram type nine. And uh, so as you may have noticed, I, I began writing these nine songs starting with type one. And so that means that I will not be writing my song, uh, the nine song, uh, until the very, very end, which is which is completely a, a nine thing to do to, <laughs> to leave to leave my stuff to deal with uh, to the very, very last second. And um, what's been interesting and maybe kind of concerning for my family members who are around me all day uh, is that during the month or so it takes me to write each of these Enneagram songs, uh, I'm sort of absorbing all of these uh, different aspects or, or characteristics of the type that I'm writing about. And it, it kind of leaks into my own personality for a little while there. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure that's actually a type nine thing in itself to, to merge into others in that way. Um, and hopefully it doesn't sound like I'm being super dramatic by, by saying all this. I'm definitely not Daniel Day-Lewis remaining in character or something. Uh, but I've just noticed these little shifts in me as I write these Enneagram songs. Uh, at, at the very least, I can feel uh, some parts of me becoming magnified. Uh, an example would be when I was about to release my my Type 1 song, I just felt overly concerned that it was as good as it could be. I always have a hard time letting go of songs. Uh, I always feel like I could make them better. But for the Type 1 song, I felt like I could have worked on that for the rest of my life, nudging things in a more precise nature or uh, just kind of chipping away at it forever. And um, I, I also noticed some more dynamic mood shifts when I was writing my Type 4 song. Um, 
And I had so much fun writing Five that uh, I could have explored or researched that song for probably the rest of my life as well. And uh, so I had to push really hard to kind of land that plane and, and finish that song. Uh, and not get lost in the in the in the research. And so for writing this song, I, I've definitely soaked up a bunch of the traits of the type six. I've become more alert or um, sensitive to potential threats around me. And um, as a nine who disintegrates to a type six, I'm definitely no stranger to self doubt. And uh, so, but on a way more positive side, I also felt compelled to tackle a fear or two in my own life. I've been terrified of everything medical uh, since I can remember. And so during the writing of the song, I faced my fear and, and I got a physical for the first time since I was a little kid. And the gift of the six is courage, which is totally at the heart of this song. And, and I felt like I had a little bit of that six courage as I had my, uh, my blood drawn for the very first time in my life. To speak a little bit more about the, the courage of the type six, I, I want to talk about the animal totem of the type. Uh, what I think is just a super fun overlay and isn't all that important part of the Enneagram is that each of the nine types have an animal totem that represents the type. And if you've seen the cover art for each of my Enneagram songs, you'll, you'll notice that there are always two children interacting with an animal. Uh, painted, of course, by the absolutely brilliant Alicia Edigento. Uh, for the type six, you see two children with their hands on the back of a gorgeous deer and, and it's walking across water bridged by a, a fallen tree limb. And of course, that represents courage. All of these paintings by Alicia are incredibly breathtaking and have been a huge tonal inspiration as I write each of these songs. But um, for this song in particular, the art and the animal totem uh, were, were super helpful in not only uh, the shape of the song and the story I want to tell, but in my understanding and admiration of the type. My family and I live in a semi-wooded area, and uh, we occasionally get to see some deer hanging out around uh, around the yard, which is super fun. And and during the time I was writing six, I, I did see several, which was a, a fun coincidence because they're not always around. And so I was observing them, and uh, I noticed a, a few things that were super helpful to me. Um, first of all, deer appear as these very, very frightful creatures. Their ears constantly twitch and, and their reflexes to sound or movement is just super fast and intense. And, and that's what you see on the surface, beautiful but completely terrified creatures. But it occurred to me that there's so much more there. Yes, they're super alert uh, and they're constantly aware of their surroundings and are prepared to handle any potential danger. But there they are in, in the broad daylight doing what needs to be done. They're gathering food or, or just living their, their life. Uh, they aren't cowering somewhere uh, away from all of the threats of the world. They are beautifully and courageously showing up anyway. Uh, and that idea is what inspired a bunch of the lyrics and the direction of the song. As Chris mentioned earlier, uh, the type six sits directly in the middle of the head intelligence center or, or the mind intelligence center. So in the lyrics, I wanted to write using as many mind constructs as, as I could. Uh, so you'll hear ideas and dreaming and imagination and worry. And uh, all of those things are, are of course, to, to point or, or nod to, to the intelligence center. I had the most vivid dream. But I could only look down. 
so I like the idea of, of starting out with uh, with sort of a calm and, and beautiful thought in the lyrics. Uh, so you get this visual of someone being welcomed into heaven and, and lifted off the ground. Uh, and But for some reason, the, the character is only aware of all the dangers of how high they are, and uh, their head literally can't stop uh, running through all the different worst possible outcomes. And then they wake up. So I, I thought that was a, a way to first establish the, the idea of anxiety in, in relation to the type six, but also uh, to kind of set up this character starting out in, in sort of a more anxious space. And uh, so even when they're sleeping, having this beautiful dream, they still can't get their mind to uh, enjoy it and, and be present. They're still kind of worrying about the, the worst things that could happen. My mind was heavy with worst case scenarios, emergency exits, and the distance below. So I wanted to point out a few things about these uh, these opening verse lyrics. Uh, number one is the 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 mention of heaven and being lifted to uh, to be welcomed into heaven. I, I love the idea of, of touching on religion and uh, on faith in in this song about sixes. Uh, I read in several different places that type sixes have a little bit of a gravitational pull towards religion, and so I wanted to to subtly nod to that in the in the lyrics. Uh, number two is uh, the lyric worst case scenarios and emergency exits. Those are both things that came up in multiple conversations I had with, with friends that identify as type sixes. Um, one friend mentioned that when they drive about every five minutes or so, they will have the thought of playing out an, an accident in their mind. Uh, another friend mentioned that every time they sit down at a restaurant, they're sort of keeping track of all the emergency exits in case something terrible goes wrong. And so because each of those concepts, the emergency exits and worst case scenarios just kept coming up in conversation as well as in everything I was reading about the type six, I knew that it needed to find some sort of space in the songs to be able to, to use that language. And thirdly, as I mentioned, this song is meant to sound like an exhale, like a like a, a, a taking a deep breath. Um, but I wanted to play around with uh, opposing that at different points. I wanted to play around with tension in the lyrics, and so um, I set up kind of in harmony with it, with the more calming music, with uh, with the idea that I had the most vivid dream. My feet had left the ground. I was floating to heaven. So that's supposed to be kind of in the same tone as the music is, uh, where the instrumentation is sort of a little bit dreamy and and sweet sounding. Uh, but then I wanted to kind of oppose it by, by saying my mind was heavy, running ragged with worst case scenarios, uh, emergency exits, and the distance below. Uh, that's sort of alarming language. It's, it's a little bit, um, it contains a little bit more tension. And so I wanted to kind of play around with that in the lyrics so that the tension is sort of created in, in the words of the song uh, against this, this kind of backdrop of a, a small orchestra playing this very gentle and kind of calming song. So the next lyric. Oh God, I'm so tired. Being 
So on, on an obvious or, or surface level, that's the character reaching a, a, a breaking point and, and recognizing that the, the anxiety has too much pull and too much sway in their life. And on a more personal note, I, I identify deeply with that sentiment. Uh, and as I learn more and more about the type six and, and how they sometimes aren't even aware of how overactive their minds are in relation to worst case scenarios, uh, I just wanted to document in the song the, the moment that I sort of felt like my heart broke for the type. And, and what I mean by that is as I'm writing each of these nine Enneagram songs, uh, in my learning about each type, at some point I'll find out something about the type that, that breaks my heart for them. Uh, and that doesn't mean I feel bad for them or sorry for them in any way. God knows we all have our baggage. Uh, but I think it's a point of empathy and, and I hope understanding that I that I get to uh, that helps me uh, write these songs in, in, in what I hope is a, is a sincere manner. And for the type six, that's me realizing how incredibly exhausting it must be to have such difficult things constantly buzzing around in your mind. And so those words uh, sort of just felt like the the right, simple sentiment um, to not only document that, but to also carry the story along. So let's take a, a quick detour away from lyrics and talk about the time signature of the song. Uh, if you didn't notice, it is a waltz and uh, that three, four timing just felt right about it. Uh, in a waltz, there are two dance partners that rely heavily on each other and uh, following and supporting. And, and there's just a, an incredible amount of trust and commitment there. And so that felt, um, felt like an appropriate structure to build this song upon. Uh, so well before the lyrics or concepts of this song were, were born, I did know that it needed to be a waltz. And once the ideas and the concepts and, and kind of the scaffolding of the song was there, I just had so much fun recording this song. I, I had the incredible privilege of working with some absolute world-class musicians. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about the, uh, the guests that you hear throughout this song. The first guest I invited to play on this song is a gentleman by the name of Paul Von Mertens. He is one of the most talented musicians I've ever come across and happens to be the band leader of Brian Wilson's band. So needless to say, I was delighted to hear that he identified as a type six and uh, was so, so very excited that he was willing to participate in the song. So this is actually the third time that Paul and I have gotten to work together and it is truly such a joy. Um, the first song that he played on, and this is actually how I met him, was through uh, my song Clockwork, which featured an orchestral arrangement by Van Dyke Parks. <laughs> Paul played several woodwind instruments in that song and then uh, also played uh, clarinets and uh, I believe a couple other instruments in my song Silhouettes. I love working with Paul. He plays with so much soul and, and feeling. I just, I absolutely love it. So uh, this song felt like the absolute perfect fit. And so Paul played saxophone bass clarinet, and flutes. A huge thanks to Paul Von Mertens for his gorgeous contributions to the song. The next guest is an incredible guitarist named Andrew Trim who I've known for many, many, many years. And uh, I, I knew that as the song was coming together that it needed his his playing on it. He uh, he plays in, in several different jazz trios and, and bands. And um, I just thought he would be such a great fit for, for this song. So I was delighted to get to work with him for the first time. Mm -hmm. 
And through Andrew, I met the incredible drummer, Quinn Kirshner, who uh, who played drums on this song and just um, played so beautifully. Uh, the note that I gave to him for this song was that I wanted it to sound like shushing. So uh, everything he played was with that in mind, where it's just a lot of shh. And I was also introduced to Kurt Schweitz, who is an incredible bass player. So he played the upright bass on this song. And so I recorded that trio of musicians at one of my favorite studios in the universe, Electrical Audio in Chicago. Uh, I recorded my very first record, Ghosts, at Electrical Audio for, for many months and uh, recorded many elements from Keep No Score as well as storyboards. And I've done various work there over the, the past many, many years. And so it was really fun to get to be back. And uh, the engineer for this session to record the guitar, bass, and drums was my friend Greg Norman, who has recorded every single single project that I've ever brought through Electric Audio. So it was just a really, really fun homecoming. Um, and so each of the, the the members of this incredible trio came to the studio and uh, I recorded all three of them live. And it was just incredibly fun. One of my favorite uh, recording days in, in recent years. So here's all three of them playing together. So much fun. Huge thanks to each of those incredible dudes for, for playing so beautifully and making that day so fun for me. It was a truly a treat. As I mentioned, the instrumentation of this was inspired by music made in the in the 40s, 50s, and, and early 60s. And uh, no song would be complete without some sort of string section. And so I knew right away that this song needed to have a, a string quartet. So my dear friend Sharon Gerber and her in incredible quartet were were kind enough to lend me their their gifts for the song. Uh, so the the quartet that you hear is Sharon Gerber on cello, Tracy Ensley on violin, uh, Anya Gerber on violin, and. Joanna Lebo played viola. And it was such a treat to get to have them be a part of this song. So a huge thanks to them for, for lending me their time and talents. Uh, it means, means literally the world to me. could totally listen to that on loop forever. And then I have my dear friend Justin Camps, who was kind enough to lend me his voice to uh, to this little tiny choir that I have in uh, in a couple moments of the song, and it is made up of multiple recordings of his voice as as well as my voice.
And I think now would be a good time to talk about the fingerprints on the song. Uh, if you don't know what a fingerprint is, it's what I'm calling these little tiny sound contributions from my friends and family and the, and the folks that I, I love the very most um, who were kind enough to, to record a teeny tiny recording, uh, usually using their iPhone or, or whatever device to record it. And it can be the sound of literally anything. And I weave them into the, the fabric of the song that represents their type. So um, let's talk about the, the type six fingerprints. The first set of fingerprints are from my new friend David Archuleta, who is an incredible singer uh, that you may already be familiar with, and he was kind enough to send me a, a handful of sounds. David's first sound is the sound of a blanket, uh, which brings him comfort. The next sound is a beautiful piece of piano music that he sat down and played and that I pitched up into the key of the song. And David's last fingerprint is the sound of his beautiful voice. Uh, so this is David humming. And I was able to pitch it into uh, the little choir that I talked about just a, a couple minutes ago. The next fingerprint sound is from my sister-in-law, Marissa O'Neill, who is awesome and sent me the sound of my sweet little nieces cracking up. I love it. There's so much joy in that sound. Uh, and I felt like it was like the, the perfect sound of, of letting go for the, for the type six. So right after the line, somehow we'll be okay, I thought that that was the, the perfect sound. And you can just barely hear it in the mix. Somehow we'll be okay. The next set of fingerprint sounds are from my sweet friend, Melissa McDonald, who sent me uh, four really, really wonderful and, and thoughtful type six sounds. The first sound that she sent was the sound of a record player needle, uh, as she puts it, the anticipatory space before a song. The next is the sound of walking on snow. And the next is the sound of scaffolding coming down. And the last sound from Melissa is the sound of a door being unlocked. I love those sounds. Super fun to get to weave through, uh, through the song. The next sound is from my dear friend, Kate Hodges, who, who sent the sound of a single note on the flute. The next fingerprint is from somebody who helped make me into a human being. <laughs> That's my dad. And uh, this is the sound of rain. And the next sound is from my friend Sarah Dark, who sent the sound of birds, and I think it's so beautiful. Uh, and again, another great sound for, for the letting go of the six. And this next sound is from a dear family friend, Mark Holstein, who sent the sound of boat horns. And the last sound is from my friend Mary Rose Capella, who sent the sound of cooking. And then we have a little bonus sound from my sweet daughter, Lily, who, as I was finishing this song, she, she walked downstairs and said that she liked it. And so I said, hey, do you think it needs anything else before I finish it up? And she said, yes, it needs I love you. I love you. 
so even though we we don't know what type Lily is and we uh, don't believe at all in in typing your children in this in this really precious time of them becoming who they are, are supposed to become, I did think that that was a perfect message for for the type sixes to hear. Uh, so straight from Lily's mouth, um, she loves you. So let's go ahead and switch gears. I would love to hear more from Chris about all things type six, and um, then I will explain a little bit more about the lyrics and the the intentionality behind the song. Uh, so if you've done any amount of research into the Enneagram or the, the Enneagram type six specifically, you will definitely have come across the, the terms counterphobic six or phobic six. And it's a little bit strange because you don't really come across different versions of the other nine types. So six is unusual in that way. And I would love to have Chris talk a little bit about what exactly counterphobic six or uh, phobic sixes look like and what that concept means and uh, just to give his thoughts and uh, background on what in the world is going on with that right so if any anybody who's done any study on the Enneagram has, has come across this right and this is one of the the questions that people constantly ask is so what is this counterphobic or this phobic stance and and why is the six the only one who who seems to have this well, in my book, The, the Sacred Enneagram, I, I, I tried to sort of tackle this because my, my sense here is the Enneagram as a comprehensive teaching is, is really sort of this fractal of triads, right? And, and so fractals are these repeating patterns that sort of are in an infinite feedback loop. And, and triads are sets of three. And, and what I think happens in the Enneagram is it proves itself through all of these sort of triads that, that, that just keep sort of peeling back in sets of three. So... In my book, I, I, I sort of looked at this and I said, you know, if, if the six is the only one that has sort of two pivots, two faces, the phobic and the counterphobic, then that's actually one of the greatest ways to disprove the Enneagram. It's actually an inconsistency here. It, it's, a, it, it's sort of a scratch on the record of, of the tradition or the teaching. And in my book, I suggested that each of these three anchor points, the three, six, and nine, all have these sort of pivots, these counter moves. And and so I suggested that the uh, the nine has an active and an inactive stance and that the three has sort of a genuine, and I regret using this language, disingenuine stance, but that the six has a phobic and counterphobic stance. Now, that's one of, of, of sort of two theories out there on this. And, and this theory is sort of this, this notion that, you know, if it's not just the three anchor points, but maybe all of the nine types, that we have a passion and a counterpassion then it's most pronounced in the six that this counter movement against the passion actually shows up because if the six really shows us what the raw human emotion, the raw human experience of fear that everybody experiences in nine different ways is, then as that pronounced luminary of human character structure, we, we see it sort of more clearly than they would in, in some of the other types. Now, if you're a phobic or counterphobic six, what that simply means is the, the, the phobic six is they roll with that fear. They, they, they give that fear maybe a disproportionate amount of power over themselves and over their lives. But if you're the counterphobic six, then, then what you're working with on, on your inner landscape is this move against your fear. And so a lot of times we, 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 we know that the counterphobic six ends up getting mistyped as Enneagram eights because there's this drive, there's this this larger than life sort of pushing back. And uh, it's incredible. It's, it's it's an incredible kind of presence and energy that you see. The, the truth though here though, and this is how you would know that you're a counterphobic six, not an eight, is that you're still dealing with that fear. You're still dealing with that doubt. You're still dealing with a lot of that inner apprehension. 
and, and, it, and it's still part of sort of how you see yourself and you see the world. And so what you know about the, 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 the virtue and the holy idea here, the six, is, is like I said, that, that, that courage isn't not being afraid. It, it's pressing into the things that you're afraid of. It's, a, it, it's, it's unmasking the illusion that fear is, is almost in every scenario uh, a malformation of the truth or really at its worst case, a lie. So one of our theories here with the counterphobic six is this is the, the counter passion. And like I said, at least the three, six, and a nine seem to have those. But there's there's some folks out there that think all of the nine types have a counter passion. And that depending on your socialization, depending on maybe your religious tradition, depending on maybe your own inner maturity, you relate to that passion by either giving into it, giving it power, or, or pushing against it, or not giving it the sort of final say over your mental or emotional or instinctual state of mind or state of being. Another theory, when we talk about the counterphobic six, is this notion that it's, again, one of the subtypes of Enneagram six. And so at the end of the podcast on type five, we talked about the instincts, the instinctual variants, the instinctual drives. And if you remember that, we said that in each of us, there are these, the leftovers of evolution, the raw material of our sort of biological compulsions. And this is in our unconscious and in our unconscious we're, we're, we're very often unaware of it or its movement within us but that these three instincts in the enneagram are self-preservation sexual and social and, and when you take this self-preservation this sexual or this social instinct and you mix it with each of the nine enneagram passions and in this case fear what you get are generally referred to as the subtypes and so when you take the self-preservation six you know, this is, is called by Claudio Naranjo warmth and Oscar Chasso called this affection and, and Russ Hudson calls this responsibility. These are the, the people that just go along for the ride. They're, they're there with you after work to, to, to hit the market or to go out for a cup of coffee or to catch a film. They're, they're, they, they love to sort of network and, 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 and not like the nine merge, but they, they, they give their allegiance to those who, who mean something to them. It's, it's the most sincere of, of the six subtypes. And it's, it's really sort of what we mean by the loyalists, right? Well, if you look at the social subtype as it relates to type six, you know, Oscar Chasso called this duty, right? And and this notion of duty is, 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 is also a secondary aspect of the loyalist, loyalty, sort of responsible stance sixes take, right? This social subtype, this social instinct mixed with fear really leads to um, folks who work super hard and, and they work hard for the common good. They work hard for, for the causes they believe in. They work hard on behalf of their communities. And, and man, they're, they're, they're driven um, they have a really strong presence, really big energy, but this is a lot of onus that they take upon themselves to uh, support the world that they want to live in. And, and so you see that social social element there. So that leaves us with, with the sexual instinct. And when you blend this sexual instinct with fear, and, and, and this specifically as it relates to Enneagram type six, this is the counter type, right? This, this sexual energy sort of moves against fear and this counter type is is sometimes called intimidation because that intimidating stance against fear looks 
as as strong as as any kind of strength you see show up in in the nine enneagram types, right? These are the incredibly defensive protectors of vulnerability, right? Um, it's an irrational almost move against fear that that just looks audacious, and 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 they make it look beautiful. Actually, there's a a feistiness here. There's a a kind of courageousness here that that would would cause anyone to follow them into harm's way and and of course that is often not the sort of smartest thing to do but man when you see this counterphobic six when you see this counter move against fear in, in the sexual subtype um you're inspired and, and you're and you're you're blown away by it so good, Chris. Thank you so much for for helping clarify that. Another aspect of the type six that I would love to have Chris talk about and, and demystify for us is the is the notion that type sixes are the most common of all of the nine types. Uh, so, Chris, can you talk a little bit about that? Right. So, yeah. If 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 you've done any study on the enneagram, if you've particularly looked in depth at, at type six, it's very likely that you've come across this theory that sixes are the most common of human character structures, or at least the most common of, of North Americans. And in fact, I've heard in, in some instances, people say that it's more than 50% of, of the U.S. population. Now, I fundamentally disagree with that. And in fact, I, I think that that theory is dated, and I think it's specifically dated to, to the early 1980s, because when, when, when it was the Jesuits who are really sort of letting the Enneagram loose into, into the wild. And, and when it was the Jesuits who were really starting to teach this in their congregations and, and, and were among some of the first authors of, of some of the, the first Enneagram books in English, you, you can imagine, you can remember, I, I grew up Catholic during that, that time period. A lot of folks in, in Western Catholicism really needed to look to external authorities to, to let them know that they were okay. And, and specifically in religious communities. Right. I, I remember as a little kid uh, growing up in, in a Catholic household at Catholic elementary schools, we had one big, pretty Bible in the house, but it was a display piece. We, we never opened it. We never read it. You know, we relied on the priest to tell us what those words in that book meant. And, and I think this is sort of the, the sort of sensibility of, of, of a six, which I think sometimes is caricatured as, as, as needing that external validation, needing that external authority to tell them what is good, what is true, what is beautiful. And so if you can imagine in the early 1980s, the churches that these Jesuits were sort of teaching the Enneagram in were likely full of people who needed external authorities to tell them that their souls didn't have to go to a place of torment, but that there was paradise waiting for them. And and so my sense is whenever you hear this theory that sixes are the most popular Enneagram type, it's really a snapshot of the demographics of the kinds of congregations or the kinds of people that were in the congregations of the early sort of authors of, of the Enneagram of personality in the late seventies and, and early eighties. Does, does that make sense? Oh yeah. hundred uh, percent. I guess in other words, you could say that it's just totally wrong. Yeah. And, and, and look, if you're a six out there listening, like I, I hope you hear this, like you're not actually really common. You're not really ordinary. In fact, you're, you're really one of the mysteries of the Enneagram. Like you're, you're one of the harder types to sort of wrap minds around to, to give language to there's there's such complexity and richness to your determination to your constancy to your steadiness the the way that you support the systems the communities the relationships that that you're a part of is 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 unmatched by by the other eight types yep that is super beautiful and super true 
So Chris is going to spend a little bit of time talking to those of us who are in relationship with type sixes. And then um, he's also going to spend time talking to the listeners that happen to identify as a type six and uh, to share some really beautiful words of, uh, of affirmation and encouragement. So if you're in relationship with, with somebody who's dominant in type six, I, I really think that there's a, a clear invitation to sort of allow your heart to, to come forward here. And, and growing in compassion for, for sixes is not hard. In fact, growing in compassion for sixes helps us grow in compassion for ourselves. Now, now, how do we do that? Well, we 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 do that by sort of observing the the, the common misunderstandings, and and all of us are misunderstood in nine different ways, and these misunderstandings lead to real hurts and real pains. I, I think a, a misunderstanding for folks who are dominant type six is they're often caricatured as overly pessimistic, right? That they're they're the Debbie Downers, that they're 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 really negative, and that over identification with pessimism or negativity is is classically a misunderstanding right if if they're not looking on the bright side if, if if they really are contingency worst case scenario planning they're doing this as a way of offering love they're taking that fear on for you and it's a way that they suffer for us it's a way that they try to earn the stability that they desire in the relationships that we don't realize we need for for a lot of us stability isn't the sort of primary social need in, in, in our in our primary relationships. And, and so sixes quietly suffer that for us and, and, and quietly offer it. Now, again, to lead with compassion here, to make connections with compassion is, is to listen to their concerns. It's letting them process their what ifs and, and not dismissing that and, and not blowing those off, but, but really sort of seeing what's behind, beneath and, and underneath that. I think we have to, to to remember that that what sometimes stresses six outs is this inner effort that just constantly leads to the insecurity of their self doubt that they're they're needing to know that they're going to be okay that they want to trust their authority and and this is another way that they're really misunderstood it's not that sixes are are inherently suspicious or skeptical or even defiant of authority they want to trust the authorities in their life. And, and so this is really typical. If you've ever been in a, in a religious community or an intentional community or a group that sort of had a falling out or a really bad breakup or a, sort of a, a split, I, I, I often see that these are quietly orchestrated behind the scenes from folks who are dominant in type six. And, and it looks like mutiny, but it's never mutiny. It looks like mutiny because six is when they 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 lose confidence in their leader, their supervisor, their manager, their, their their clergy member. Then rather than wanting to assume that role, and look, sixes can make great leaders, but rather than wanting to assume that leadership role, what the six wants to do for the good of their community is to ensure that adequate leadership is secured, adequate leadership is in place. Well, will they band around themselves other folks who will validate their concerns? And if their concerns can sort of create consensus, then, then what sixes end up helping create is sort of the removal, the overthrow, the, the forced transitions of folks who, who've lost their trust, who've lost their confidence. And, and like I said, this isn't because a six is making a power grab. This is because the six wants to create the opportunity or the environment for the right person then to come in, to take over, to be in charge. And, and so don't misunderstand what looks like mutiny, because really that again, is a way that sixes attempt to care, to love, to, to nurture and support those that they entrust themselves to. Now, uh, another stressor here 
is is in relationship to um, what looks like and can sometimes feel like ambivalence towards them, right? And, and so you see this with all three of the anchor points, with the three, the six, and the nine. Sometimes the nines just feel like, man, all my really polite suggestions aren't being taken seriously. Sometimes with the threes, you sort of get the sense that like, I'm trying not to be as forceful or assertive as I want to. I'm I'm trying to be sort of, I'm trying to come at this from the side. So please listen to me because I know. And again, that same sort of ache happens there with folks who are dominant type six, because when they lead with what they perceive to be sort of instability or threats in their environments, and if we can't see it and we dismiss it, then it feels like ambivalence and ambivalence really is, is, is a dagger to the heart of the six. Because if trust is, is paramount in their relationships, then they want to be trusted. And, and I'll say this, you need to learn to trust your sixes because you can trust them almost more than you can trust yourself when it comes to, to some of these issues. Oh, so helpful. Thank you so much, Chris. Uh, so as I was writing this song, I wrote down this list of words. Uh, as I was doing my research, I, I kept kind of collecting these these words or these little small concepts that I wanted to sort of weave into the lyrics in some subtle way. And uh, I, I was able to make it through most of the list, um, but trust is at the very, very top. And, and trust is such a huge, huge theme in learning about the type six. So though the theme of trust is all throughout this song, uh, the line that brings it into plain view is, is this one. Trust that there will be light, always waiting behind, even the darkest of night, no matter what, somehow we'll be okay. And, and the next concept in that little list is a, a slight nod to the, the counterphobic and phobic six concept. And it's just language that I think is, is commonly associated with the, with the type six, which is fight, flight, or freeze. So all three of those responses are embodied in these lyrics. I want it to- So here are a handful of other words and, and concepts that I felt were important to work into this song. Uh, and you can kind of keep an ear out as you listen to the song for uh, where they appear. Fear. What if. Worry. Keep it at bay. Faith. Worst case scenario. Vigilant. And as we talked a little bit about earlier, self-doubt. And that concept appears in the shape of this lyric. So those were just a few words from that list, which ultimately became the map for writing the song. Uh, it was so helpful in, in just helping me keep track of the different ground I wanted to cover and the different concepts um, throughout this song. Uh, and the list actually began a couple years ago in, in New Mexico, where, where I had the privilege of getting to spend a couple days with uh, some buddies of mine, as well as Father Richard Rohr. Uh, and, and as Father Richard Rohr kindly and, and so brilliantly walked us around the Enneagram, uh, I kept a little notebook that has been serving as my, my jumping off points on each of these nine Enneagram songs. So I'm going to welcome back Chris, who will share with us some truly beautiful and, and inspiring affirmations and words of encouragement for, for the absolutely remarkable people that make up the Enneagram Type 6. 
So if you know if you're dominant in type six, uh, a lot of the work for all of us in, in nine different ways is, is learning to accept and and love ourselves, re receive the, the the things that are beautiful about ourselves and fabulous about ourselves. And I and I think for the sixes, part of that is, is looking at that sort of feisty fieriness, that 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 drive within you, and and, and not to self mute it or to self edit it. But, but to let it loose, to let it out, to, to be at peace with it and, and let that be part of the way that you lead. Uh, another affirmation for you here is, is to own your sort of innate ability to sort of build consensus and, and to realize this fluency and collaboration is really a gift and, and it doesn't come as easy as it does to you as it, as it would to the other ones of us. And, and so it's one way for us to feel included. It's one way that, that sixes can really build build teams and it's one way that sixes can can appeal to that strategic aspect of, of your intellect right because you're right there in the head center so you're a quick thinker you're, you're smart you can can really solve problems and, and and your ability to solve problems is 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 also directly related to your ability to anticipate them and, and so to let us do that together through collaboration is is is, is really a gift Another affirmation here is, is, is to remind yourself and to constantly remind yourself that you are strong enough, that your strength is rooted in your courage. And your courage is not that you are fearless, but it's that you know what you're afraid of. It's that you've faced fear. It's that you've, you've dismantled the lie and the power that fear has over you and, and over us. Here's the thing that I think most sixes could could resonate with and and this is really fundamentally at the core of of the inner work or the the, the inner growth or, or really the the becoming more of the best of yourself for folks who are dominant type six is simply learning to trust yourself right we we want to be able to trust ourselves and and we will receive that when we see it in you and and your sensitivities your your intuitions your your sort of like I said, the quickness of, of your minds and, and how fast you can anticipate and, and, and collaborate and, and problem solve around things is part of how you will grow in that self-confidence and that self-assuredness. And, and so give yourself over to that. We, we need you to be that because you are luminaries in the world. And when you align yourself with those gifts and own those gifts, you give us permission to also align ourselves with our gifts. And especially if any of them seem to be echoing off of you as one of these anchor points, one of these revolutionary types, really one of the, 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 the great energies of, of the Enneagram. For those of you who are sixes, I, I know that there's this sometimes it feels or could feel like a compulsion to, to, to take on too much ownership, too much responsibility, to actually volunteer for, for more than is humanly capable. And this is a way of, of being the supportive presence in, in the community, on the teams, in the organizations or relationships you're a part of. But you're not responsible for everyone else. And in fact, you don't have to, at the end of the day, take care of everyone else. In fact, when you take care of yourself, when you take ownership and responsibility for yourself, and really when you give yourself permission to love yourself, that's when you really begin to love us and, and show us what love looks like. And so there's nothing narcissistic or egocentric about this, but, but caring for yourself, honoring yourself, loving yourself is what we need for you to do. And, and when you do that well, you give us permission to do that also. If you're a six and in your in these relationships where, where you're sensing 
or, or you're feeling that there's some instability or, or there's something that you're not sure of, um, feel the freedom to, to express that, to actually get in touch with your frustrations, to, to, to figure out what it's going to take to, to find common or, or stable ground with people. And, and, and don't feel bad about that, but, but really find your voice because when you give your power away, it, it, it continues to, to, to stabilize the very parts of yourself that are the strongest. And, and, and so articulate these things. Um, express these things and, and do this with with honesty. Um, do this with vulnerability because in in those vulnerable spaces, we will actually bring forward the parts of ourselves that we also don't trust. And, and what happens here is together in relationship, we, we become more than the sum of our parts. Another thing I, I think that's important for folks who are dominant type six to, to remember is that none of us are prepared to, to be the adults that we're supposed to be. None of us are are equipped to, to be the, the the most successful professionals that we're going to be. And none of us are, are really prepared to, to have the kinds of relationships that we've idealized. And that's what makes us human, that we get to stumble forward, that growing into the gift of our humanity is is, is a clumsy dance. And, and, and some of us try to tidy it up and, and some of us try to sort of present otherwise. But this human aspect of, of feeling unprepared is actually what makes, I, I think, life um, beautiful. There's an impromptuness, there's a spontaneousness, there's this, this sort of unrehearsed way of being. And, and, and if you can align with that actually as a gift, if you can align with that as actually one of the ways of becoming the beautiful person you are, then it really does help you relax. You really can breathe into that without it becoming controlling or, or, or something that leads you to, to, to further obsessing, but just giving into the flow. And, 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 and really, I think the flow of our being, the quality of our being, the, the, the sort of essence of, of what is free in each of us that needs to be unleashed is really another way that I think sixes shine, is, is really another way that, that sixes can establish themselves and, 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 and are established in the best of themselves. So, so play along, it's gonna be okay. Um, certainly, there, there, there's more that all of us could do um, to be better prepared, but, but you, you have what you need, you, you are enough. And, uh, and, and, and trusting that and, and resting in that is, is, is gonna make you um, so much more capable of, of handling all the curveballs that life throws at you, so much more capable of, of adapting and, and pivoting when, when things don't sort of play out how, how you thought or hoped. And uh, that's where, again, you'll align with that fearlessness in you, that courageousness in you. And even honesty, when you don't feel so fearless to, 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 to face fear, to call it out as an illusion and a lie, and to dismantle the power that it, it attempts to sort of lay um, on top of you and, and the rest of us. I cannot thank Chris enough for, for shining such kind, compassionate light onto each of these types. It, it truly is a gift on these episodes, and, and I'm so grateful for, uh, for his knowledge and for uh, the time it takes to, to share all that with us. So thank you so much to Chris. So it's come up several times in this episode already that, that courage is such an important word when talking about 
the beauty and the health of a type six. So as the song and the story were, were being pieced together, uh, I knew that courage and, and the word sanctuary were, were key to the redemption of this type six story. And I just wasn't sure at all how to how to fit that together. So when I was about 90% finished with the, with the lyrics, I hit a bit of a wall, which is totally common. I, I feel like I hit more walls than I don't when I'm <laughs> when I'm writing songs. But uh, I just had these these sketches of, of uh, different lyrics that contain courage or sanctuary, but ultimately nothing nothing was really feeling right. And so uh, at that point, I, I went out to coffee with a, a new friend of mine named Nate and um, at the tail end of our conversation. And so I told him I better get back to work. And, and then I was so close, but so far away from, you know, finishing the the lyrics for this type six song. And um, and then he offhandedly mentioned that a friend of his identifies as a type six. And they were recently talking. And um, I guess Nate shared a, a little bit of a story that he had heard with his friend that just reminded him of sixes. Uh, and so he told me that story. And uh, I, I'm totally certain that I'm going to get many of the details wrong. So just consider this a game of telephone many times removed. Uh, but the gist of the story is this, uh, a team of scientists were, were observing a family of chimpanzees in the wild. Uh, and they noticed that one or two of them seemed sort of anxious or, or physically stressed out compared to the others. So, and this is where my, my animal loving red flags appear in the story. Uh, the scientists took the more anxious chimpanzees out of the wild and, and into their care. And I'm not entirely sure why, but shortly after they were released back into the wild to, to rejoin their family, but their family was gone and they had died. The chimpanzees that were anxious were, were actually the guardians of their family. They were keeping watch over them. And it's an incredibly sad story, but it reframed my understanding of courage and, and of the word sanctuary. And so I rushed home and within minutes I completed the song and wrote the following lines. Then I realize I want to believe No, I choose to believe I was made to become a sanctuary If you won't go away But I can keep it at bay These invisible walls Just might keep us safe With a vigilant heart I'll push into the dark And I'll learn to breathe deep I had initially assumed that the, the deepest wish or desire for the type six was to, to find sanctuary, to find a safe place. And I think that's that's super true of every human being, but but I realized that the type six's gift of courage is more beautifully displayed in their ability to become a sanctuary for those they love. So if you yourself identify as a type six, please know that you really are, as Chris says, the, the guardians of the Enneagram. You are vital, intricate, strong, uh, and just absolutely incredible people. And, and you deserve so much gratitude and, and a break now and again. Uh, so as I said at the top of this episode, I, I hope this song feels like relief, like a, like a four minute break away from the anxious thoughts that you might have. Uh, but especially, I hope this song feels like a, a big hug because you absolutely deserve it. 
so let's go ahead and listen to the song one more time in, in its entirety, now that you've heard the, the birth story of, of this Type 6 song. Uh, and then Chris will offer a little bit more uh, practical advice for, for Type 6s, and then we'll, then we'll wrap this thing up. So once again, here is six. Somehow we'll be okay 
And lastly, here are some additional thoughts from、uh, my dear friend Chris. So I often am am asked to sort of try to provide some some practical on ramps for for how each of the nine types can grow, how each of the nine types can can better align themselves with their their true selves, their their, their virtues and and their holy ideas. And my sense here, for those of us who are dominant in type six, is that this is really、um, a mindfulness intention of engagement. Or a mindfulness intention of embracing this posture of interior silence. So, look, when I encourage sixes to embrace their silence, I, I, I know that that sounds ridiculous for some of you. Because if you're dominant type six, you you try to fill your mind, you try to fill the the sort of empty and negative spaces in your life with with noise or activity. Because in, in silence, a lot of these fears. That you've given yourself over to become even louder. You 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 feel like they're almost sort of splashing up behind your back, sneaking up from behind you, and 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 like a little tsunami, a little tidal wave, sort of crashing down on on your head. And, and so, for sixes who don't want to to enter that silence, for sixes who try to avoid that silence, what you're not doing is is you're not giving yourself over to the gift of your courage. Well, well, how do you engage that silence? You you don't turn yourself off. You don't dial down from it. You don't distance yourself from it, but you hold yourself in interior silence as a way of reconnecting with your courage. And I think when you reconnect with your courage, you build the kind of world that we want to live in. Huge heartfelt thank you to Chris Hewitts for、uh, lending us his time and, and wisdom.、Uh, again,、uh, a reminder to, to check out his book, The Sacred Enneagram, and、um, another reminder: this、uh, this Type Six song is available everywhere music is.、Uh, and the music that you hear underneath right now is a, a brand new piece of music that came out last week as part of my astronomy series, and it is called July twenty seventh, two thousand eighteen. Total lunar eclipse, and it was inspired by the century's longest、uh, lunar eclipse. I truly cannot thank you enough for for choosing to listen and、um, for for following along. It means means the world to me. I hope you guys have a really beautiful rest of your day, and I can't wait to speak with you soon. Thanks so much.